everybody. Um, thank you for joining us in our weekly um, interfaith live show. Um, today, uh, we bring to you a very important topic. And I think as, you know, um, with COVID and during this pandemic, we have um, experienced a lot of a lot of um, have experienced and have seen a lot of workers not being protected during this pandemic, and so um, we wanted to. We invited Michael, uh, who is part of the poultry, um, the sorry, the solitary with poultry workers, uh, and in order to talk about the new worker regulations, um, a lot of folks, you know, heard of them, but you know. It's so important to get all of this information in the grounds to the actual workers. So um, with that being said, I want to introduce you to Michael. Uh, if Michael, if you can tell us who you are, what you do, and what is um what how came about these regulation and this fight in order to protect workers during this pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Um uh, I'm a retired history professor, and um, I have been involved with uh, uh, Community Solidarity of the Poultry Workers since 2015, when we uh, essentially mobilized community support for the effort to unionize the poultry workers in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, and, you know, we, we got involved with uh, the crisis of uh, COVID-19 that was especially bad in the uh, poultry plants where... Um, uh, poultry workers uh, testing positive for uh, COVID-19 were almost, well, cl close to 40% of, uh, as best we could tell, of, uh, of the COVID-19 cases in, uh, in the Harrisonburg-Rockingham County area. Um, basically, to understand the standards and their importance, it's, it's important to realize that there should be standards on a, a national level but no such standards were created. And that's a big reason why uh, there were so many outbreaks in the, in the uh, meat and poultry plants across the country. And locally here, um, uh, we were hearing from workers about all kinds of problems of, of places where uh, people weren't wearing masks, in which people were being pressured to go back to work when they were sick. Um, just all kinds of stories about uh, uh, things happening in the plants that, um, uh, were contributing to the outbreaks that were occurring. And um, <clears throat> the uh, importance of the standards is that standards are necessary in order for there able to be worker complaints and inspections and, and sanctions. In other words, without there being standards, there's no real enforcement. And um, now that we... Uh, what ended up happening is that the governor used his emergency powers to um, create standards specifically for Virginia, which is something they can do. Um, and um, that creates a situation in which uh, we're the first state and the only state at this point in which there are enforceable mandatory standards for protecting workers in the workplace. The important thing now is for workers to learn about these standards, to know that they're out there and know how to use them for the benefit of their own safety, the safety of their coworkers, their families, and the community. So now we're in a community solidarity in the Legal Aid Justice Center and the statewide coalition we have 
we are focusing on getting the word out to workers because uh, that's crucial. Yeah, wow, thank you. Um, and so one of the things that um, a lot of folks, I guess, don't understand or or are not aware of is what are what our employees should be looking at in order to make sure their workplace, uh, you know, meets these standards. Because if they don't meet these standards, you know, they have the ability to report it. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's a requirement of the uh, um, of the standards themselves that employer employees get training from their employers in the standards, so that will help them to understand the standards better. Plus, the Legal Aid Justice Center has put together a, a very well uh, constructed um, brochure, and on that brochure there is a little red card that you can cut out of the brochure if you get a hold of one of these. We're trying to get them out that has a checklist that you can go through and check yes or no as to whether your employer is doing something. Is your employer providing protective equipment? Is there social distance between workers? Is there regular cleaning of the work site? Have they done trainings about COVID-19? Is there a follow-up protocol for people who test positive about returning to work? Um, have they laid off workers with COVID-19? Um, are, are people uh, uh, being checked for symptoms before entering or is there a testing system? And is there information on prevention and protection? Also, the employers are required to uh, teach the employees about the anti-discrimination law or whistleblower protections that are part of the standards, which essentially says that if you have a concern, obviously you should talk to your employer first. And, but if that's not possible, then you can take that concern to a government uh, official. You can take it to the Department of Labor and Industry, but you can also talk about it on Facebook. You can talk to the media, you can talk to the public. As long as you are expressing a reasonable and factual concern, you are protected and employers cannot retaliate. And that's very important to understand. The best thing to do, if you see that something is a, a, a significant problem in your workplace, is to contact the Legal Aid Justice Center and their phone number is 1-800-269-4717 and they will help you to file a complaint. And when you file that complaint, your name is withheld from the employer. So the employer does not know that you have filed that complaint. You are protected from the get-go. But I would absolutely recommend that you use the um, help and guidance of the Legal Aid Justice Center. Um, they'll walk you through it. It's not that difficult, but it's not anything that you're necessarily familiar with. So you should contact them. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's important. Um, it's important uh, for folks to have this number in hand in making sure that they report anything. Um, but, you know, mostly, um, you know, well, this, all these are all these regulations um, for all workplaces, or is there is there anything that doesn't? And like, for example, I have I work in a restaurant versus working in a, um, I guess, like in a, a shelter, um, like a a home care. Is there a difference, or all these regulations apply to everybody, regardless where do you work? Yeah, the regulations apply to uh, practically every private and public employer. 
in the state of Virginia. Um, and um, but the there is a distinction because they categorize different workplaces um, on the basis of the categories of uh, the level of danger of exposure to COVID-19. So the first category, kind of the base level category is low, um, uh, is classified as low uh, risk. And um, <clears throat> then the next is medium. And uh, that would be for instance, like restaurants, um, uh, um, uh, poultry plants, factories, um, and so on. And then there's high risk and very high risk. And that is primarily healthcare facilities or, or mortuaries, um, places where they have direct contact with people that are, have confirmed cases of COVID. And so there are different requirements for what the employers must do at these different levels in respect to the level of risk. Um, but they, there are certain things that all of them have to do um, and that they have in common. And um, <clears throat> you can learn about that in the, in the pamphlet as to what those things are. But um, basically in each instance, it's, it's designed to keep people safe and um, you know, involves things like when you need personal protective equipment, being able to wash your hands, uh, maintaining social distance, um, um, these kinds of things. Plus there are reporting requirements that are very important in all of this, which will enable the Department of Labor to be able to see what's happening. And therefore they can see what's working and what isn't. And that way the uh, standards will get developed, they'll become more um, uh, customized to reality um, as they see what works and what doesn't and where they need to hone in on certain problems more than other problems. And they really couldn't do that before. So that's a major advance. But the key here is, is that the, the workers are central to all of this because only if there is a complaint can there be an inspection. And only if there's inspections can there be sanctions when the employer has been violating one of the standards. If workers don't make complaints, the whole system won't work. So it's crucial that workers get acquainted with the standards, especially the ones relevant to your category and also to your workplace and, um, and engage. And if you need to, and if your employer is not responding or wouldn't respond, then you need to go through that process for your own safety and for the safety of your family and community. So you play a, a key role. This gives you workers' rights and responsibilities. Yes, and I think it's it's so important to um, to keep um, to be an ally, or if you're being an ally, and if you have the privilege of you know having to work at home and being able to share this information to folks that are actually in these medium risk workplaces or high risk workplaces to share this information and making sure that everybody knows that during this pandemic, they're able to report um, any type of mis, you know, misconduct from their, their employers. And so one of, you know, one of the things that I go by is in order to take care of our community, we have to take care of each other. And it's just a way of taking care of each other. So, um, but other than that, like, um, if let's say an employer uh, wants to, um, wants to report 
uh, something, you did say that their name is going to be protected. You know, I think a lot of folks right now fear of having to report that or fear of, um, of having, um, having to say really anything because right now everybody's under this pandemic. So, um, you know, what would you advise, you know, to these employers that, uh, I mean, employees that want to, um, want to report cases, but are afraid? Well, I think the most important thing is, uh, as I was saying earlier, um, is um, to get in touch with the, uh, call the number of the Legal Aid Justice Center, because then you'll have uh, appropriate legal advice all along the way. And, um, <clears throat> and, you know, that's essentially what you need. I think it's important to realize that the whistleblower protections that are written into the standards are some of the strongest uh, whistleblower protections that um, exist in the country. And they are in addition to a bill that was passed uh, for whistleblower protections in the 2019 legislature, which actually provides for civil suits on the part of employees if they're right, uh, if they are discriminated against as a result of reporting some kind of problem with uh, um, safety and health protections. Um, so there has been a movement in the direction of workers' rights and protecting workers' rights in Virginia. And the passage of the standards, the first in the nation, is an indication of that. So there is an indication that there's a new level of commitment on the part of the state of Virginia to protect workers' rights. And in this instance, workers' rights are so essential to the health of the community. Um, you know, during the height of the outbreak, um, they tested the uh, plants on the eastern shore and there were 510 workers that tested positive for COVID-19 in those plants. There had been a major outbreak and that inevitably spills over into the community. So if we want to get a handle on this um, pandemic, um, listening to workers and protecting them when they make complaints is, is vital to the interests of the whole community. And the state of Virginia has indicated that it is committed to that, um, to protecting workers in that way. I think that's very important, um, very important to point out, um, especially because, you know, uh, Virginia is one of the only states that has this, but as y'all know, also Virginia is one of the, one of the least worker-friendly state <laughs> in the country. So, you know, uh, so it is important, um, it is important, um, to know, to keep this and to keep going and having these conversations. And so, um, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit more about, uh, what your, I guess, your organization is doing in order to get this this out, especially to poultry workers, to you know, uh, to those workers um, that are you know might not speak English, that might not be able to navigate, uh, that might not be able to you know have access to these type of flyers because you know like this like like I don't know if um, I I guess for me as like. Um, 
you know, parents that are undocumented and undocumented myself, you know, I think we're just, we're trying to survive and we don't have this kind of privilege of having to kind of like, oh, hey, we have a flyer, let's read it, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if you can tell us what y'all are doing in order to make sure that information's out there. Some of the things that we're doing is, is um, uh, we're trying to get uh, churches especially churches, um, well, of course our focus is on poultry workers, although this has to do with the interests of all workers. So we're trying to connect with other uh, people in the community that are concerned about uh, worker rights in other areas of the economy other than poultry as well to get them involved with this. But we are trying to get um, uh, some church uh, leaders to make announcements um, like at the Spanish mass and then have the brochures available um, aftermath so people can pick them up. Um, we are talking to leaders in the Hispanic community locally, like um, uh, city councilman uh, Sal Romero, who has done a lot of work in terms of uh, talking to workers when they had complaints earlier on. He was a major source of information for what was going on in the plants. And a lot of workers watch his Facebook page. Um, also, there's the Facebook page of uh, Voz del Obrero, um, which is in Spanish, and and Sal's is also in Spanish, um, and uh, and that is uh, from the uh, Guillermo Zelaya, who was the organizer in the unionization campaign, and a lot of workers um, watch look at that Facebook page, and I, I think that we haven't emphasized this, but it's very important to realize the brochure and other important materials have been translated into Spanish, so they are accessible. Um, and um, we have been discussing with Virginia organizing, uh, passing out brochures at uh, places where um, we think, uh, um, you know, there are a large number of uh, uh, poultry workers that are um, uh, uh, in residence. Um, we're trying to get it out on Facebook um, and on local media, um, you know, just to do everything we can to get the word out. Um, but like I said, the key thing here is that you don't have to, uh, you know, pass a class, pass a test in, in the standards. All you have to do is um, know enough about it so you realize when uh, um, the standards are being violated. And a lot of it is common sense. So if something strikes you as just wrong and not making sense, um, then you can check to see if the standards cover those or not. Um, or you can just contact the Legal Aid Justice Center to, to ask them about it. And then if it turns out that it is an issue that, that needs to be uh, dealt with in terms of the standards, they'll help you with it. So I think reaching out, they have Spanish language, uh, people that can speak Spanish at Legal Aid Justice Center, and um, reaching out to them would be the, the step to take, I think, in terms of uh, um, uh, trying to make the standards work for, you, for your safety and your family and community. Wow, thank you. Um, and, you know, if we have any people of faith or goodwill that, you know, want to get involved and want to kind of, you know, have, um, um, want to distribute these flyers, please let us know. Um, it's really important, you know, to have people of faith having, having um, to help other workers, right? You know, it's always good organizing is always worth by worth by mouth, you know, by other folks, mm -hmm. by other folks. It's so important right now because unfortunately we can't go and like 
physically organized folks to know this information. So we rely on other folks to share this information. So, you know, if you're a people of, you're a people of faith or a congregation, or your congregation might be interested, please let us know. We are here, um, as Michael said, these, uh, this brochure, or this information has also been um, translated into Spanish and, um, and we're hoping um, to have also be translated into Creole, Creole, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, because um, I know uh, a lot of poultry workers uh, and farm workers um, actually don't necessarily just speak Spanish, right? Correct, Michael? So. Yeah, no, there's actually uh, many languages in uh, Harrisonburg. In the, in the high school, there's 50 languages that are spoken other than English. Uh, because the uh, poultry workers are not, they're predominantly, maybe 60% or more, it's not exactly known, um, uh, uh, immigrants from Mexico and Central America. But um, many of the poultry workers are refugees from, from Russia, from um, Iraq. Um, we have a large Kurdish population here. And we have people from Africa, from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, and so on. And uh, certainly we would like it if uh, there could be materials in some of those other languages. But what have we've started out with is English and Spanish. And I, I noticed that someone um, had a, a, a question on the, on the yes. chat section. And I wanted to speak to that because the question was about working conditions for most poultry workers. And it's extremely important to realize that before this pandemic, with COVID-19, there was an epidemic of muscular skeletal disorders and carpal tunnel syndrome in the poultry plants. And this, um, many people, the, the rates of both of those uh, things are uh, extremely high in the poultry plants. In the case of carpal tunnel, the rate is seven times the national average in manufacturing industries. And all of this has to do with the uh, speed of the line which is extraordinarily fast. And, uh, and it's only been increased by the Trump administration recently. Um, we're talking about 140 chickens per minute, oh which is absolutely astonishing. And workers will frequently be making 20,000 cuts in a day into cold resistant chicken flesh and using exactly the same muscles over and over and over again. There were OSHA standards that were developed in the 1990s during the Clinton administration to address the problem of muscular skeletal disorders and carpal tunnel. And unfortunately, when the Bush administration came into power, they basically blocked that and it was made voluntary. But voluntary really is meaningless. And um, so in some respects, th these standards are important because the standards are setting a higher standard in the industry. And, 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 and all the reports that were done across the United States and the world about the situation of, of meat and poultry industry workers, um, the reporters that did the reports couldn't help notice all the other problems that already existed in the poultry plants before uh, COVID-19. And so we're now in a special situation in which there's a higher level of public consciousness about the situation of poultry workers. 
And if it makes sense to have standards in respect to COVID-19, it certainly makes sense to have standards in respect to carpal tunnel and muscular skeletal disorders. And this whole situation has broken the isolation of poultry workers. And I can speak specifically of the Shenandoah Valley that we just felt like the government in Richmond hardly knew that this existed, that, that the workers existed, but that's no longer the case. And uh, so this is, this is an important breakthrough in terms of rights for workers in a state that, that doesn't have a good record, but is showing real signs of moving in the right direction. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's, you know, it's really important. You brought something really important um, that it had to be a pandemic to show how bad poultry workers, farm workers, or any type of workers, uh, to show how bad conditions they are because of this pandemic. And it shouldn't be like that, right? It shouldn't be like that. But it happened. And now that we have this momentum, or not this momentum, but that we know that this is happening, you know, we hope that, you know, viewers that are watching this or, you know, come across this are able to, um, to come together and be able to organize and protect those most vulnerable workers, you know, um, because they are suffering and, you know, it's, we're during a pandemic. And so one of the ways that you can do, do it is by sharing this information with other, with other folks. Correct. So, um, so I have a question from, um, from, uh, oof. Uh, we really. She wants to know what can what can the average person do to help advocate for workers. Do you want to take a stab on that, Michael? And I can answer too. As far as can I don't. It depends on where you live a little bit. Um, if you live in the Shenandoah Valley area, you can uh, go to Justice for Poultry Workers, and I you can message me at that uh, Facebook site. And that will also keep you uh, uh, aware of what is being done locally uh, by a community solidarity. It's basically the Facebook page of community solidarity with the poultry workers. And if you're in this area, you could get involved. We have a steering committee meeting every two weeks um, if you want get to get more extensively involved. But also, uh, you know, coming to some of the events that at different times we have sponsored. And recently we did a, um, an event in Harrisonburg, um, which was in solidarity with the strike for black lives, um, uh, which took place across the United States, which was a coming together of the movements for racial justice and um, the labor movement. And um, this is a, a facet of the whole uh, uh, issue in respect to the poultry industry is that the labor force in the poultry industry is made up of people that are in a more vulnerable position because of historical racial issues that have put them in that position. And so there's a real issue of structural racism in the sense that they're more easily exploited because they're immigrants, because they're refugees, because they come from countries that have a history of um, not respecting the rights of workers, um, and and so on. And um, so I think that the first step is to 
uh, really develop an awareness and understanding of the, the situation of poultry workers, but, but of all workers. I mean, basically, this is a state in which there's a right to work law. And a right to work law is like hanging up a sign saying, um, you know, unions not wanted and kind of advertising that come and locate here because it'll be easy to uh, exploit workers in this state. They don't have any way to resist. And I think that Virginia needs a new sign that says, you know, this, this state respects workers' rights because there's plenty of corporations that operate in states where workers' rights are respected. And the states have much more prosperous economies as a result. Um, I'm from, I lived in Minnesota for a substantial period of time. And in Minnesota is not a right to work state. And um, Minnesota has strong unions and it's one of the most prosperous states in the country in terms of indices of uh, well-being and standard of living. So I see Virginia as moving to a much more positive economic model, but that won't happen um, without people uh, struggling for it and putting energy into it and changing the laws that have been established over the years to serve a um, a political economic model that's based upon uh, a lack of rights of workers. So we need to change this. And if we raise our voices and we uh, uh, speak to um, the leaders in Richmond, it will change. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, for, you know, bringing that point that like here in Virginia, they are, corporations or, you know, companies are come here and locate just to exploit workers. Like, that's insane. And I think, um, you know, for people that want to get involved in, you know, workers' rights, it's, you, you one, have to be, one, yeah, like Michael said, aware of what other folks are doing and how you can contribute, you know? And, you know, we're right now in a pandemic and one way is just by sharing this, you know, this Facebook Live or sharing uh, our pamphlet and information um, so folks know about this information because, you know, one, you're aware or you're aware of this and you can pass it down to your friends and your friends can pass it down. And I cannot, as an organizer, I cannot emphasize how important that is, you know, because um, I can go into, I can go in places and to organize, but if they don't know me and they don't trust me, they're not gonna trust the information I'm gonna give them. So it's so important for folks, you know, to have this information, pass it down to their friends, their friends pass it down to their friends. And that's how we can be able to like start, you know, having this momentum, having folks come together. And so it's so important. And so, yes, um, Eve, Eve, um, Eve asked if the info pamphlet is on the BICCP site. It's currently not, but we'll put it up there. It's um, right now you can find the pamphlet um, let's see, in the Legal Aid Justice um, website, which is, um, yeah, that one, that, that one right there. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and it's right there, um, but we'll put it up as well at the BSCP website and hopefully folks can share. Uh, the more, the better. Um, 
So, but that's that's really important. I think that's really important to keep emphasizing that right now during this pandemic, it's uh, word to word, you know, by friends, by folks. And again, I want to emphasize that, you know, if you have a congregation or you belong to a congregation and you want to share this information, please let us know. Um, but other than that, you know, I want to thank um, I want to thank Michael for for coming um, for coming and taking the time to talk to us about this. Uh, and thank you for making us aware of yeah of the poultry workers. <laughs> yes, of course. Go ahead. There's one thing I want to say is that in terms of faith resources, remember that the whole biblical tradition began with a labor, labor dispute in Egypt. Yes. And so this goes to the heart of our faith and we need to make it a part of our life in all our local churches. And that can make all the difference in the world. We've had that support from the churches here in Harrisonburg and it has been invaluable in terms of helping um, organize and speak for poultry workers. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for also bringing that up. And like Michael said, you know, it is in the core of our faiths to help those in need or help those that need to be uh, uplifted, you know, and uplift the most vulnerable. So please don't forget that. Uh, we're here. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, center the voices of the most marginalized workers, which are, you know, right now, poultry workers, restaurant workers, you know, health workers. So please, um, please make sure you, you share this information. Uh, and again, thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm not sure, Michael, do you want to add anything else? Yeah, well, I just think I want to thank you for having this program. I, th I think it's excellent. And it sounds like you've been doing a lot with it um, over the last, uh, since April, I hear, <laughs> which is, is fantastic. And um, yeah, um, I, I, I just think that um, it's so important for people of faith to get involved in these issues. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, the assumption is, is, is that it's okay with uh, our faith that workers are exploited and taken advantage of. And, um, and, and we have to take actions to uh, change that view. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, um, please. Uh, uh, we will have this um, this same show in Spanish. Hopefully folks can share it and making sure um, this information is here. Uh, Manuel Gago from Legal Aid Justice will be joining us. So um, again, thank you so much for, for your time. Uh, Michael, and we'll hope to see you back again soon. <laughs> well, that will be it for today. So please join us at 5 p.m. in our Spanish show. Thank you. Yep, thank you.